0: Grace Pod is a ministry of Grace Church, Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through His Word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.grenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. Uh, today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5 and from verse 3 to 21. And our passage uh, begins with um, talking about sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness and that they must not even be named uh, amongst Christians. Andrew, tell us, um, there seems to be a slight change of gear from the last chapter of putting, taking off certain things, putting on
1: certain things. This feels a bit different. Would you agree? it seems that language is ramped up doesn't it so the the warnings are, are more intense the you mustn't even speak about it it's more intense So people sometimes say oh sexual sin is the same as all other sins and it, it kind of is but it kind of is a particular danger and the fact that paul singles it out and underlines it so much and i guess this trio sexual immorality impurity covetousness and um, they're probably three takes on the same kind of idea so Covetousness, Even in the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife. There could be a, a sort of sexual covetousness. So when Jesus said adultery isn't just something you do with your body, but it can be something you do with your mind, that's not a New Testament idea. That's just the Tenth Commandment. Don't covet um what isn't yours sexually, impurity. So, so it's this trio of sexual sin that comes in verse 3, and then you get the same trio in verse 5. You may be sure... Everyone who's sexually immoral, impure, or covetous. And it sandwiches filthiness, freelish talk, crude jaking. So I take it this is all about attitudes to sex, doing and speaking about. And it gets a real focus here. And there's there's lots of different ways that he signals this is extra serious compared with other stuff.
0: So the passage begins with the words but, but sexual immorality mustn't be named. And it's actually contrasting with what we looked at in verses 1 and 2. And I, I think this is really helpful for understanding the two types of, well, uh, way people use love. So the Christian is called to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then he says, but sexual immorality must not be named among you. So th- there's a slogan in the society uh, which is love is love. Which I think is a bit disingenuous because they're, um, they no one actually believes that all types of love are equally valid. So no one's arguing for, I don't know, paedophilia or bestiality. There's just they're just saying some are equivalent to others. Um, but here we see that not all love is love. In fact, there's a stark contrast. There's a kind of love which is about self-giving. Christ loved us, gave Himself for us, and there's a kind of well, Paul doesn't even call it love, which is about grabbing. It's about self-serving. And that, I think, is why you get covetousness in the same list as sexual immorality. There's a sort of behavior which is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus pours himself out and he's self-sacrificing, self-giving. And that's the model. And there's a kind of behavior which is self-grabbing, self-serving. And that's to be not even spoken of.
1: And the the not even spoken of thing is quite an emphasis in this passage. So there's a warning against filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, verse four. Um, Sexual immorality mustn't even be named, verse three. Um, And then he goes on, um, where is it, later? Um, There's another one, I think, somewhere. Uh, Verse 12, it's shameful even to speak of the things. And I I just think that, that does lift it to a new level like it, this is a behavior that if we're not careful can be normalized if we talk about it casually and that puts us in real danger so to say don't even speak about it it's not a kind of prudishness because Paul is very explicit about their pagan past and the Ephesians themselves so, you know it's not it's not like they're so Christian that they've never heard of um, sexually perverted practice they were engage in a pagan culture so this is their own past but now your break with it is must be so absolute that you don't speak of it anymore and then he gives a really strong warning in verse five you may be sure of this everyone who is sexually immoral and pure covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and of god do you want to talk about the the category of apostasy that he's sort of tapping into here
0: Yeah, I think there's a temptation for us to kind of skirt over that and not take it seriously, especially if we've bought into the sort of framework which says, have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? Well, you'll be okay. You know, it's the ticket in your back pocket. Whatever happens now, you're safe. Um, That's not the way the Bible speaks of um, our assurance. Um, So in Jesus' parables, for example, um, the question isn't, um, did you want prayer? Prayer. The question is: Are you ready today for the Master's return when He suddenly breaks in? And uh, Paul, similarly here, he says, "Well, actually, if you are living an, an unrepentant life, uh, if in sexual immorality or covetousness, there will be no inheritance for you. You will be under the wrath of God." Verse six. And and we're scratching our heads because we we discovered in chapter one that when we heard the gospel. We received the, the Holy Spirit, um, verse 13, um, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, verse 14. So clearly, we have to kind of see how both of these things are true. And I take it that um, if we are in persistent sin, it, it actually displays that we never truly believed, we never truly received the Spirit, we never truly received the inheritance. Um, so my assurance isn't based on did I once have that experience? It's based on, is there evidence in my life today that I'm
1: a a Christian? Am I repenting? Am I um, believing? So if you're asking the question with a doctrinal hat on, this isn't contradicting the perseverance of the saints, so-called, those who are truly God's people will persevere. It's just saying, but don't deceive yourself that you're not one of God's people if, Um, and that fits with verse six, Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We've seen almost exactly that phrase before in chapter two. So when he was that passage about you were dead in your sins, but now you've been raised with Christ. He spoke about the sons of disobedience that Satan was at work in and says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So actually this phrase is, that's the before phrase. That's what the Ephesians were. That's the Christian before they were converted. Um, it's just saying make sure you don't go back there or stay there. So the Christian who returns to their pre-converted lifestyle or the Christian who doesn't leave behind their pre-converted lifestyle isn't actually a Christian, it's not an inheritor.
0: And it seems that there were many who taught the opposite as there are today. So let no one deceive you with empty words. This is an area where self-deception is very easy. Oh, well, surely I'll be okay. And we have to see that... And there will be those who will try and convince us of that. And we need to reject that. What, what do you make of verse 7? Don't become partners with them.
1: Yeah, we, we talked about this, didn't we? Is its is it don't become partners with the sexually immoral or don't be partners with those who teach you that sexual immorality is fine, even though they themselves might not be sexually immoral? And they're, they're slightly different categories, aren't they? Because you think of, well, certainly in the Church of England at the moment, there's all sorts of um compromise in lifestyle, but there's also people who teach compromise and which group is it? I guess grammatically the them it's plural. So it fits with the sons of disobedience, but I think the two go together that, you know, there's the lifestyle and the people who say the lifestyle is okay. Don't be partners and, you know, don't say, we're in the, we're on the same page. We're in the same direction. Our ministries are connected. I mean, it has real implications for us in a denomination like the Church of England, which is full of this kind of false teaching and we mustn't be partners. So we can't give the impression we're going in the same direction as this church down the road that's teaching the opposite. Um, and we've seen a lot in Ephesians about Christian unity, but it's interesting in Ephesians, the letter that most underlines unity, it also has, but don't associate with or don't partner with. So there are limits to Christian unity and where there is compromise or error in this area, that is the, that is the limit. That's where you say we're not on the same page.
0: Yeah. And then we have a new idea inserted. So verses 8 to 14 are all about light and darkness and shining. Um, what is... What, what has happened to us in this section and, and what are the implications?
1: Yeah, I love how he he introduces this metaphor and then just runs with it. And you think, think of some different things that the metaphor of light tells you. Well, the first thing about light is light and darkness can't coexist. exist. Um, as soon as you switch the light on, the darkness has to go. And he makes that contrast. So you were darkness, you were pagans, but then you, you're now light in the Lord. And if you're light in the Lord, you can't take part in the works of darkness, verse 11. So there's a there's an absolute separation between them is the first idea. And then the second idea, which is sort of connected to it, is that light exposes darkness, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So I think the idea here is that the the Christian behaves differently and as they behave differently they show up the culture around them for what it is and that's true in Ephesus I mean that's literally true exactly what happened in Ephesus so there we read in Acts 19 the whole town is um, invested in paganism and idolatry and in magic Christians get converted they stop doing magic the magic industry almost goes out of business in Ephesus and there's a riot so I mean they they really do expose the magic industry by their conversion and I guess you know we we met in chapter four the ex thief who now is generous and he exposes all his mates who are all thieves because he's now saying being a thief is not okay anymore because I've changed and I suppose in this passage the ex sexually immoral and there will there will be people who are um adulterers or um who were um, in homosexual relationships or whatever, th- there'll be all sorts of pagan pasts of the Ephesians, which they've left behind. And as they leave them behind, they expose them. That is not the Christ lifestyle. So light doesn't coexist with darkness. Light exposes darkness. And then the last one, um which is maybe is really exciting, is light wakes you up in the morning. Do you want to talk to us about that image?
0: Yeah. So in verse 14, and in the, in our bibles it's got quotation marks maybe it was a song or something like that um it says this um therefore it says awake o sleeper and rise from the dead and christ will shine on you and i think in days before alarm clocks um you probably wake up with the sun and so it's saying that um not only when christians live as light does it expose those around them they feel oh there's some gap here between the way I am and the way I should be. But wonderfully, it's Jesus's means of waking someone up spiritually. And then you get this phrase, rise from the dead, which in Ephesians is, is a, we had it in chapter two. It's what happens when someone comes, becomes a Christian. You were dead in your sins, but now you're alive with Christ. And there's this lovely idea that um, the, very, the, the means Jesus uses to wake people up he shines on people through the godly lives that ex- of Christians. So actually, the very thing which we feel really awkward about, um, you know, it says in verse four, there shouldn't be foolish talk or crude joking. So that the, there's a you know a crude joke in the pub, everyone's laughing, and you think if I don't laugh now, it will seem judgmental. It will seem like I'm trying to make them feel bad. Um, and that pain barrier, um, Paul says, well, that's part of the point. Light is meant to expose darkness. Yes, it does feel uh, painful. That's, be- that's because it's doing its job. And it's such a positive thing because this is the means Jesus uses to wake people up uh, so that they can rise from the dead. So it's, it's a really um, lovely image of how important Christian distinctive living is and, and, and the good that it can do. I think Christians are always asking the question, aren't they? How should we withdraw from non-Christians, or should we blend in? And this is a a new way. No, you've got to be as close as you can to them so that you can, like light, light expose exposes darkness. But you've got to be as different as you can from them, so that you're not blending in.
1: Hmm. This, yeah, the fact that exposing and Waking up from the dead, are so close together, <laughs> um, it took me. It took me a bit of a while to be convinced. Of this, cause it was just a new thought to me. But I think that is the thought, isn't it? Verse thirteen: Anything exposed becomes visible. Verse fourteen: Anything that becomes visible is light. So, light in the passage means the Christian. You are light in the Lord, and you expose the other thing, and then that itself becomes light. It becomes light in the Lord. So, I think that, I think that must be conversion. And as you say, that and plus the arise from the dead language. So let's summarize where we got to Um, real need for change in terms of sexual morality and a past that you've left behind. Um, The consciousness that this will put you in a massive clash with the society around you, which you should lean into, expose for the sake of people being converted. And then, um, Finally, in verses 15 to 21, we have another series of contrasts. And we've had lots of before and afters. You were dead, you're now alive. You were far off, you're now close. You were ignorant, you've now learned Christ. You were darkness, you're now light. So he's constantly talking about this before and after change. And then we get a whole series of them here. So don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand God's will. Don't be drunk, but filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting that parallel, isn't it? It's a, it reminds you of the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and they all spit and everyone thought they were drunk. And it's just absolutely the opposite. So make sure it's not drunkenness that's causing you to speak, but the Holy Spirit within you.
0: And the the wisdom folly ideas is really interesting. So in the context, living as walking as wise, not as unwise means, verse sixteen, to make the best use of the time. So there's a way you can live which you'll get to the end of your life and say, oh, "I wasted my life," and that's the life where you're not shining and not exposing others around you when you're blending in. And um, it's it's such a um, encouragement here. You know, we're in a difficult environment, working environment. People around us are say, you know, different uh, their standards. And actually, the wise person says, "No, I'm going to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. I'm going to be as different as I can be." And that's that's wisdom, hmm. um, and um, yeah, the uh, the the spirit filling idea is um, connected with um, what we've heard before.
1: So, how does it connect with chapter two? This is helpful, isn't it? Because what does be filled with the spirit mean? And this, I mean, this has been a controversial phrase for Christians, um, and some Christians would take it as it's a special experience you have, a sort of Pentecostal experience that each Christian has. Subsequent to their conversion, and it gives rise to this language of second blessing. Or, are you a Christian or are you a spirit filled Christian? And there's lots of sort of confusion about that. And people have rightly emphasized no, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit at the moment that you believe the gospel. So, that's chapter one the Holy Spirit is received by every Christian at the moment of their um, being converted, and yet there's still the urge here to be filled with him. Um, What does that mean? And I think what it doesn't mean is necessarily a pleasurable experience or um, a sort of feeling of being uplifted. It does mean, um, well, partly it's a corporate thing, because chapter two, the church together was growing into a holy temple a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So it's not just me and my individual Christian experience. It's me as a member of a church where the Spirit dwells. So we are filled rather than I am filled with the Spirit. And then, um, it's actually about the way that we behave as church and the way that we are different in our behavior in our lives. So be filled with the Spirit is immediately explained. Verse 19 addressing one another. In Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what is a spirit-filled church? It's a church where people sing and mean it. It's a church where people are thankful um, rather than grumbling and bitter. It's a church where people are submissive. And that, I think it really grounds it very practically, doesn't it? So it's not, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit, I feel great. It's, I'm filled with the Spirit, watch me submit to um, others in the church. Um, or oh, I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit, watch me be thankful and constantly um, grateful for what the Lord has done for me.
0: And, and I think there's, um, the contrast of wine is really telling, like on the day of Pentecost, what are they on? Oh, no, they can't be drunk. It's only nine in the morning. There should be something inexplicable that people say, what are these Christians on? There must be an explanation. And if it's not drink or drugs, what are they filled with? Um, so that I think I do find this a challenging uh, part. So you know, I, I grew up in a tradition where this was a key command be filled with the spirit and I', I misunderstood it to mean that it, yeah, it was individual and I now see it's corporate and and so on um but I think what they had right is is that there there is a sort of um an exuberance or a, a mm. abandonment that is you know on Pentecost confused with well they must be on something <laughs> um, which which is you know something our tradition probably needs to learn this is. Uh, what a, a community where God is filling us is like, and it's a it's a extension of the idea we saw at the end of chapter two. So God has built us into a temple. Jesus is uh, the cornerstone. Apostles and prophets are uh, the foundation, and we're like little stones being built together. Um, and the wonderful thing about being a temple is that God dwells in our midst, and yet here we discover that we can experience that more and more. Mm. So. Be filled with the Spirit. Let let your community be one that is just filled with God. Um and
1: where there's this exuberant thankfulness and submission and and um, joy. And that's true of all of Ephesians. It's not it's not two stages: Christians without the Spirit, Christians with the Spirit. But it's a constant tension between the blessings that all Christians have already and the blessings that we don't have yet. And we keep seeing it, you know, you're united but grow into your unity, or you know Christ but I'm praying for power that you may know Christ in you, or you're filled because the church is his fullness, but be filled. And I suppose that it's not that we need to go anywhere other than the gospel to get this. It's not a sort of second stage on offer from something else, but we need to go deeper into the gospel and understand it more and be transformed by it in the way we behave as a community more. So that you can be... You can enjoy what you have and you can also be ambitious for what you long for.
0: Thank you for listening to GracePod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.